Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give life to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is God's word. Well, thank you, Susan. Good to see you guys. It's been a while since I've been with you. Um, A lot of life has happened. I had a new baby, or my wife did, we did. And so we're transitioning to what that looks like. Someone said it looks like I haven't shaved, and I said, I can get away with that. When you bring home a new baby, you can kind of do what you want because you're tired and losing sleep and whatnot. Uh, But God's given us uh, much grace, and so I'm thankful to be here. My name is Jeff Skipper. I'm the church planning apprentice here uh, at Redeemer, uh, and excited to look uh, at this last week of Advent with you. Uh, We started the the Gospel of Luke, and if you've noticed, there are five songs of praise surrounding the coming and birth of Jesus, the Messiah, in Luke chapters 1 and 2. And so we see with all those songs, there's a tone of joy to the whole account. Uh, later, we'll see an angel says, this is good news of great joy concerning the birth of Christ. And one of the primary characteristics of a Christian is to be joy. The Apostle Paul commanded it. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. For Christians, joy is not to be optional. It's, it's expected. It's a natural expression uh, in light of what God has done for us, an expression of thankfulness. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of times joy is not what characterizes Christians. You know, many people outside of the church think we are unfun people, you know. Upt- Some of you don't have that problem, and I need to hang out with you more. Uh, unfun, uptight people, and it's no wonder they're not attracted to what we've got a hold of, or or what's got a hold of us. They're not interested. And so, considering these songs uh, here at the beginning of Luke, surrounding the birth of Jesus, what made them rejoice like this? The story of Christmas seemed to grab hold of them in a way that I'm not sure it does us. And so, what's the difference? What is your reaction to the story of Christmas? What significance does it have for you? Is it just a time to get together with friends and family and be distracted from how bad the world is for a while and then go back to it? Or or is your reaction uh, utter joy? Uh, You know, I think the difference is these singers knew how dark the darkness of the world was uh, unless God did something, and they knew how bright the light Jesus was bringing into their world was, and that led to their joy. You know, unless we know how dark the world is apart from God, and how bright the light that God has brought into the world, that Jesus is our only hope, we, won't, we will not experience full Christian joy. And Zechariah is the singer here. He's the father of John the Baptist. Remember, John was to be the forerunner of Jesus. He was to run ahead to the people and say, hey, your king's coming. He was to prepare the people for the Messiah. And if you remember, earlier in Luke 1, the angel had announced to Zechariah, you're going to have a child uh, to, to he and his wife Elizabeth, who was barren in their old age. And Zechariah didn't believe it, and his voice was taken away for a time. Uh, but now here, the child has been born, and Zechariah obediently names the child John, which is an act of faith. He receives his voice back, and he just sings for joy. He sings a great song of praise to the Lord about his son's ministry, Uh, and the ministry of the coming Messiah. And I think his song, specifically this part of the song, helps us see the essence of salvation, our need for it. 
our hopelessness uh, apart from it and the great accomplishment of it and the cause of it. And when we begin to let all of that grip us, we'll join in in rejoicing over the coming of Christ. And so your outline has changed along with the scripture we read. Uh, But just three points this morning. Sitting in darkness, our problem. Uh, The sunrise, our only hope. And then finally, the, the way of peace, the result of it all. And so sitting in darkness, if you look again at verse 70, 79, we see the problem. These people are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, which is a picture of just absolute hopelessness and despair, right? They are sitting in dark. They are sitting. They have given up. The people can't go anywhere because it's pitch black. They're hopeless. They're lost in the dark, and they're in fear for their lives, right? It says the death is upon them. And this is a picture of the world that Jesus is coming into, right? A world that's lost and hopeless and it's full of fear and it's full of evil. This is a picture of Zechariah's day. And it's a picture of our day too. The world is sitting in darkness, lost, hopeless, in the shadow of death. Now the the Jewish people, they knew they needed help. They had been waiting for this Messiah. They had been longing for him to come and deliver them and and lead them into joy, hope, and peace and life. But the question is, what did they equate darkness with? Of verse 79, they're sitting in darkness. They seem to know that. But what did they equate the darkness with? What did these people think their ultimate problem was? And they thought, these people thought their ultimate problem was, was horizontal, Right? They thought their problem was circumstantial because the Jews at this time were under the power of the Roman Empire. And they wanted freedom. To them, that was the darkness. That was the darkness. They're under the power of Rome, so this long-awaited Messiah would be some great military, political leader who was going to deliver them and lead them into peace. And so uh, circumstantially, horizontally, he could come and make all things right. And, and isn't our world the same today? Right? The, the world thinks all of our problems are pretty much circumstantial. They are out there. They are horizontal. And if we work hard enough, we can fix these problems. And so we have right, political leaders and, and scientists and philosophers and so on. They diagnose the various problems with humanity. And then we work to fix those problems to bring us closer to the peace and, and the, the, the world of light that we all long for because we are all discontent with how things are on some level. So if we just die, find those problems and, and we address those problems, uh, we, we can reach the world we all long for. And we see this historically, right, uh, as the world was said to come out of the dark ages. Those silly old people who didn't know what they were doing, just, you know, wandering around. If, if they had only had us around, we could have really showed them what the, the problem was and led them to where uh, they wanted to be. The world came out of the dark ages and into the enlightenment eventually, right? That, that's the light, right? Man can do all things. That's it. We finally figured it out. That'll bring us out of the darkness and into the light, right? More research. Better better classes and structures and organizations and education. If we can just find all these answers intellectually and, and, you know, with the Industrial Revolution and the rise of science, we just find new ways to execute these ideas. That will eventually, if we keep pressing on, get us to that world of light and, and perfection and peace and joy that we all long for. We just put out these fires and we just create the right environment for man to flourish in and then we'll be on our way. Okay, so are we any closer to what we long for after all these years? Let's stop. Are are we any closer? We've had plenty of time 
and resources to address our circumstantial problems, to do experiments and research on man, to work on diplomacy and education and all these sorts of things. Are we almost there after all these years? Would anyone be bold enough to say, yeah, right? The world's not in darkness anymore. It's lighting up with life. Look around at race relations and international relations and the state of families and relationships. We are almost there. We can see it. We've almost done it. Unless you are ignoring reality, I doubt anyone would say that. The world, it's as dark as it's ever been. Humanity has been clawing and scheming and figuring for thousands of years, and the same things happen over and over again. And for all of the progress that we've made, the reality is, fundamentally, humanity has not changed, and we are sitting in darkness. And I could stand up here all day and list things that have just happened in the last week or the last month to kind of prove that and talk about that. But I'll I'll assume you can figure that out for yourself. The world, generationally, is just wandering around in circles in the dark. And another empire rises and another empire falls. And another generation is born and wanders in a circle. And then the next generation is born and wanders in a circle because they are sitting in darkness. And again, you know, these political and scientific and educational efforts are not bad. They are God's common grace to us. Right? When used properly, they, they, they are good. They're good gifts of God. They, they are beneficial to us, but they cannot bring light to the darkness. That's been proven. Right? This darkness cannot be addressed by human means. That is clear. And that's on a, like on a world, right, historical level. But what about you individually? What will bring light to your darkness? What will address your brokenness? The majority of people spend their entire lives just just looking for new ways to bring light to their darkness, and they never ultimately find any rest or any lasting light. So what is the real problem? Because the problem has been misdiagnosed as circumstantial and horizontal. What's the real problem? And that question turns us to the role of John the Baptist. His job, Zacharias sings in verse 76, is to go before Jesus and tell the people what their real problem is. And it wasn't circumstantial, right? It wasn't politically oriented or anything else, to their surprise. And John basically said, hey, look, your real problem is not with Rome, it's with God. God has a problem with you. And in your sins, you're a rebel against God, and he has judgments against you, and you've been separated from him, and you need to be made right. That's what darkness is. And you see, you see what we really need in verse 77, the essence of salvation. What we need, what he tells them they need, is forgiveness of sins, not a change of circumstances. That's why he's coming. That's the darkness, right? Sin leads to separation from God. And the story of Christmas is God coming into the world to show us and to take care of our problem. Jesus came to save us from sin, right? Not from our circumstances, and you may say, sin, I, I don't know about that. That's just an archaic concept. We've moved past, you know, sin. That's what those old guys wrote about a lot and they kind of freaked out about. We've moved past that. We have not. We are not past that, right? Just because we, we, we do research on Mars and use social media does not mean we are any better or we have moved past the same problems that people experienced in the past. We are not, you know. Measure yourself against an absolute standard like God's law. You know, we, we have hated others in our hearts. We have looked lustfully on others. We have 
envied and, and coveted and, and we gossip and all these things. And no matter how you dress it up, it's the same old thing. And what if you don't do all those bad things, right? What if you're like, ah, I don't know if I really do all that. What about, what about the, the, the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might? Have you done that? Can we say we've done that? No, we have sinned. We have been separated from God, and that is the darkness. And for us to have any hope, God has to intervene. And if he doesn't, there won't be any light for us individually or in this world. So unless we see, until we see how dark the darkness is that we are in apart from God, and how hopeless we are, and until we you know, own up to the fact that our best efforts have proven futile in bringing about what we all long for, until we, until we own up to that, right, to making humanity and all that better, we'll never find any, any true joy. I mean, we have to be hopeless and miserable before we are. We can be lit up with joy. And it's harder to wade through this hard stuff and, and not just ignore it, but it's necessary in order to find joy. And the deeper our feelings of hopelessness, Apart from Jesus, the greater our joy will be when we see how great our deliverance is. We are sitting in darkness, but this is the good news. The sun has risen. And this is our only hope. Our only hope is in the fact that God has come to to solve our real problem. And that's what Christmas is all about. That the light of heaven has stepped into the darkness to find us, to shine on us, to take the darkness upon himself, and to lead us into peace. You see verse 78 and 79, it says that the sunrise shall visit us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And we sang about it earlier, Malachi prophesied 400 years earlier uh, that the sun of righteousness would rise with healing in its wings. Right? In Hark the Herald, we sang that. That's what that's about. So Zechariah is singing here that Jesus is the sunrise who brings light to the world, to the darkness. And it says he will visit and, and the, the word there, the Greek word, is actually much more meaningful. It means he's coming to help. He's he come on a, on a mission. He, he's not visiting like we do with one another at Christmas and we stop by and hang out. As some people seem to think that Jesus did, that he just came to hang out and kind of teach us some things and leave. That, that's not what we ultimately need. Right? He came to help the helpless, to address our, our real problem. And in verse 77, we see salvation is found in the forgiveness of of sins. And that's what he came to do by living a perfect life, right? And bearing the penalty for our sins. He took all of the darkness and death upon himself. One writer said, this is the artist stepping into his own painting and taking all of the shadows upon himself. And by turning from sin, repentance, and by putting our faith in him, we are forgiven of our sins and we are restored into a right relationship with God. And that's the need uh, of the whole world. Jesus said in John 12, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. Right? Paul wrote, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we find redemption, the what? The forgiveness of sins. That is good news. 
So, so just as the sunrise comes up and it just melts away the fog and the mist in the morning, so Jesus has taken away our sins. If you are in Christ, our morning mist of sin is past. He has lived, he has died, he has risen, he has ascended, he is reigning, and it is day now, and your sins are forgiven. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us. He has come, O Israel. He has come. And there's more good news. He's coming again. But why would God do this? Right? Why would he step into the darkness? What causes this salvation? What causes the sun to rise? And what causes forgiveness of sins? And we see in verse 78, look, it says that the forgiveness of sins, the entirety of salvation, is because of the tender mercy of our God. That's why. The, the, the Greek word for tender there is uh, the word splancha. It's actually translated sometimes as bowels or heart. This is like the deepest part of a person. It's saying that Christmas is God sending Jesus to save sinners springs from the depths of the deepest parts of the love and the mercy of God. The cause of salvation, the reason for it, is the deep kindness of God and nothing else. Have you heard that message? God's mercy, that produces joy. And if we have any other concept of what causes salvation, apart from the compassionate mercy and grace of God, Christmas won't make you rejoice. There's no joy if salvation, right, if God's kindness and favor towards us depends on what we do. And that false gospel of works righteousness, right, that runs rampant in the world and in our own hearts, it's a lie. That's no gospel at all. That's what, what, what God came to destroy, that we constantly rebuild. It's the tender mercy of God. So run from that, that doctrine of death that says that, that our salvation, that, that your approval rating rises and falls based on what you do. That is not good news because we will never live up to the law. That's the whole point of Christmas. That's the whole point of Jesus. But when we live that way, right, when we live under that burden, when we forget that salvation is according and because of the tender mercy of our God, it sucks all of the joy out of the Christian life. And we become those miserable people that the world associates with Christianity, right? And that misrepresentation of Christianity, that's one of the greatest barriers and hindrances to reaching people with the true gospel. Because here's the problem, even with church planning, my problem is people think they already know the gospel, but they don't. They have not heard of the tender mercy of our God. They have not heard of salvation by grace, the great grace of God. But that is good news. That's what gospel is. Paul wrote to Titus, he said, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but by his own mercy. That's gospel. Think about a sunrise, right? You can't conjure it up. You can't sing it up. You can't dance it up. You can't work it up. It just comes. And so it was and is with the love of God at Christmas. So look at what he's done for you. You know, rest in his love. Praise God for his tender mercy that this is salvation. You know, Jesus Christ, the light of God, is the only hope for this world that's still sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. And so I ask you, has the sunrise and the grace of the love of, and mercy of God in the face of Jesus Christ risen upon you and melted away your sins? Has that happened? 
If so, rejoice. We can rejoice because every single one of our sins have been dealt with. Or are you, are you restless? Are you, are you going in circles and you're exhausted and your life is just filled with tension and pressure? Right? You are, you're just anxious and you're sitting in darkness. You know, take a deep breath of the gospel. The mercy of God. The story of Christmas. But there's more good news. Because not only did Jesus come to, 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 to forgive our sins. But another great news of salvation is that as the light of the world. He also guides us into the way of peace. And my third point. The way of peace. Right? The sunrise not only dispels the darkness of sins, but he also serves the purpose to light up our path and lead us into the way of peace. And the corresponding term in the, in the, in the Hebrew, the Old Testament, for peace is shalom, which means total well-being as a result of being right with God. That's shalom, right? So it's not just an absence of the bad stuff, of sin, but it's also the presence of good stuff. That he came to give us abundant life and flourishing. And so, as we read earlier, you know, Zechariah is saying that the Messiah came to lead us into a type of life where there's no fear. That we can live without fear. And I think many Christians, right, have experienced forgiveness of sins and they, and they, and they understand that, but they are still living in the shadow of death. And what I mean by that is they're still living in fear. You've been forgiving, forgiven, but you've yet to really grab on to the fullness of the blessings that the gospel brings to our life. Because forgiveness of sins is not the, the fullness of salvation. It is the great beginning of salvation. But there's so much more that the gospel brings. And when we fail to, to go past that, right, to work out our salvation, to grab hold of the eternal life that is ours in Christ, we do still live an anxious life, right? Fearful, unsettled about the future and how circumstances will turn out. Live in fear, right? Just an underlying anxiety to our lives. But, but the good news is there's so much more to salvation that we don't have to live that way. Because in Jesus, we're not only forgiven of our sins, but we're given the righteousness of God. And the promise of eternal blessings that dashes all of our fears. And so I just ask, where are you living in fear? Where are you unsettled and anxious? This part of Zechariah's song, it recalls one of the most famous psalms, Psalms Psalm 23. And we know that that says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, my generation knows that from the Coolio song. But my whole generation has a Bible verse memorized. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Psalm goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so I just have three reasons very quickly why we can live joyfully without fear. We can serve him without fear. One is he's with us. You are with me. The sunrise has visited us. That's why Jesus, we call him Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas, that's the amazing grace of God in Christmas. God has come to be with us. He's overcome all of our enemies. He's given us his spirit. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And because of that, we can live without fear. My old Baptist pastor, he used to say he could walk out to the, to the train tracks and wait on the Amtrak train, and he could, he could let that train shadow hit him all day, and it wouldn't phase him. He could stand in the shadow of the train, and it wouldn't hurt him one bit. And I always laughed. You know, his point was death for us is only a shadow. It's only a shadow because of what Jesus has done for us. He's conquered all of our enemies. Sin, death, hell, condemnation, all of these things. And he's with us. 
He's went before us so we can rejoice. And when we begin to understand that, we will experience the peace of God, right? He'll make us lie down in green pastures. That sounds nice. He'll lead us beside still waters. He will restore our soul because he is with us. That's him guiding us into the way of peace. The gospel promises that. So I just ask you, have have you experienced that? That's the promise of the gospel. Secondly, uh, this shows us we can live without fear because we have his perfect love. In Christmas, right? In Christ, we see the perfect love of God based on his tender mercy. John wrote, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Where are you fearful and anxious? Wherever that is, you've taken your eyes off the perfect love of God for you, and you've put them on your circumstances. I would know. I do it all the time. That's why we're fearful and unsettled and unhappy. And so this is a call for us to lift up our head and look at the sunrise of Jesus and let that shine light into our paths. We have the perfect love of God. All things must work out for our good. So what do we have to fear, as Drew prayed earlier? And finally, we don't have to fear, uh, as Zechariah is saying in verse 72, because of his covenant. This is a God who is faithful to his covenant. He promised, God promised to our fathers that he would give us mercy and grace. He promised, he remembers his covenant. He swore to Abraham. He swore to him, our father, he would bless his offspring. That's not just nationalistic, right, about Israel. Paul wrote again in Galatians, he said, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. We are children of Abraham, heirs of the promise. God has swore by the blood of Jesus Christ that shalom is guaranteed to us and we can experience it now. That's what this table is about. That promise is as real as that bread and that cup that you will grab. That he has promised by his broken body. That there will be no more tears or pain or death, but only light. And he will come again to complete his work. And so the blessings of eternal life are not just in the future. But we have access to them now. And so we can follow Jesus, right, into light. He will lead us into the way of peace. And because he's with us, right, Jesus, the light of the world, could also turn to his followers and say, you are the light of the world. And that you can be sent out with my presence to penetrate the darkness with hope and joy, pointing to the true light of the world, Jesus. The world will only know joy and peace when it knows Jesus. And the same goes for each of us. So joy is found. Listen, joy is found in understanding the essence of salvation. We have to know what the real problem is. We have to know how dark the darkness really is. We have to know how found we are. In light of Jesus' coming by the mercy of God, which dispels, right, the gloomy clouds of fear and anxiety and pressure and despair, which leads to rest in the love of God. And then we're not done, but we get to work out the full implications of our salvation, which takes mental and spiritual effort on our parts. A lot of times we don't experience the fullness of salvation that is ours because we fail to put forth the effort to own that, to work that out. And apply the blessings of the gospel to our lives. That's where joy comes from. And wading through that. There's so much joy and peace that the gospel promises to us. That is ours. That we have yet to access. So much more. And so just want to say don't grow weary in seeking him. Seeking 
joy in Jesus Christ and the blessings that we see in Christmas and worked out in his life, death, resurrection, and the joy we have in his victory even now. Uh, So let's seek him and ask him for more of it now. Will you pray with me? Father, uh, we do thank you uh, for your mercy. And God, uh, so often we... We live as if the darkness is the light, God. We, 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 uh, we stop short of owning the light that you have given us, and we settle for such uh, lesser things. Father, increase our longing for you. Open our eyes, open our ears to how dark the darkness is. But that doesn't lead us to cynicism and apathy, uh, but because of the gospel. That we can have hope and, and we can rejoice that you have come and you are coming again. And so, Father, I pray that this morning, during this time, as we come to this table, as we spend time with you, as we uh, meditate on the tender mercy of God that you, that you have shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ, that that would lead us to more peace, more joy. You'd make us lie down in green pastures. You'd lead us beside still waters. You would restore our souls because you are with us. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the good news of the gospel and the story of Christmas is that light has come into the world and the darkness will not overcome it. And so no matter what you feel, no matter what things look like, uh, look to him, not to yourself. Uh, he, will, he has come and he's coming again and all will be light. And so hope in that. And as we go, uh, we get to be that message to the world uh, because we are the light of the, the world with him in us. So receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in God's peace.